Well, well welcome to the Faith Doma Fellowship. We're going to jump right into the preaching. First, I'd like to open up in prayer. If you guys could bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being good to us, as you always are. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy, Lord. We thank you for allowing us to be here, united as one body, Lord God, and we thank you for our guests that we have as well. Father, for those who may not know you, God, I pray that you would draw all of our hearts to you, Lord God, that we would all be convicted of sin, Lord God, that we would all be encouraged by your word, and that you would be glorified and honored in everything that is spoken today. Father, we love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, some of you have heard this message before. I preached it on Monday night. Um, I was invited in to speak to some young people uh, with an excellent ministry, uh, Mission Interact, which hopefully we'll be more involved with them. And for the rest of you, you get to hear it for the first time, so praise God. Um, I want to talk to you guys about being called and equipped. God's been calling people out of darkness since the fall of man, and he equips those who he calls to do exactly what he's called them to do. He calls people out for a specific purpose. It's all part of his perfect plan. It's at a specific time, and he equips him to do it all. So there's one thing that really hinders us as human beings in regards to what we're called to do, and it's fear. Pastor Robert, I mean, Pastor Aldo spoke on fear a few weeks back. Uh, so you guys may remember that message a little bit, and some of this may sound a little bit familiar. Nonetheless, that fear, it grips you. But the Bible talks about two different types of fears. The Bible talks about a fear that is of wisdom and a fear that is like a phobia. The fear that is like wisdom is one where you're wise about what you're coming in contact with. You should fear something that's going to hurt you, kill you. Or, um, or cripple you. That's a wise thing to do. For instance, if there's a snake on the ground, it would be wise for you to approach that snake and say, wow, and if you know snakes, you see the little rattler, you say, that snake's poisonous. That snake, if it bites me, it'll kill me. It's good, there's a good chance I'm going to die. So you would walk up to the snake, and you'd say, okay, wait a minute, and you would start telling everybody, all right, everybody back up a little bit. This is a poisonous snake. We're going to contain this thing. You would respect that snake's space. That would be a wise thing to do. You're not fearing in a phobia sense. You're not fearing and trembling, but you are fearing as if though you're not going to not fear and walk right by saying, worry about a snake, and it bites you and kills you. That would be foolish, right? The Bible talks about another kind of fear, a, a wise fear, and Proverbs 9.10, the Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And Jesus, when he gathered his disciples together in the book of Matthew chapter 10, he was commissioning them to go and proclaim the kingdom of heaven to the lost sheep of Israel. And he says, I'm going to give you the, I'm going to give you the authority over unclean spirits to cast out demons and to heal people. But be mindful of something. Whenever you go out to them, they're saying that I am of Beelzebub. I'm of the devil. And I'm your master. So what do you think they're going to say about you? So be ready. You're going to be persecuted. I'm, I'm, I can't guarantee you what's going to happen to you. You might even die. But be encouraged. Jesus says, don't fear the one that can just destroy the body. 
Fear the one that can destroy the body and the soul in hell. So it would be wise for us to respect God's space as you respect the snake's space. If God commands you, if he calls you and he commands you to do something, if he commands you to preach the gospel, if he commands you to love him with your mind, heart, soul, and strength, he commands you to love your neighbor as you love yourself, it's wise for you to accept that call, be thankful of that call, and respect his space, honor him, because he can destroy the body and the soul in hell. Amen? The other type of fear is uh, fear that's like phobia. And the Bible says a lot about fear. It's 50 different definitions of fear in the Old Testament and 15 in the New Testament. And we're going to go over those one by one. I'm just kidding. Why ain't going to do that? Some of y'all were about to leave. I've seen it. The fear that's considered a phobia is, the definition of phobia is a persistent, irrational fear of a specific object, specific activity, or specific situation that leads to a compelling desire to avoid it. Let me, let me break that down a little bit there. It's an irrational fear. It's something that don't make no sense. You got people that can't take certain jobs because the job involves traveling across the U.S. on a weekly basis, and they have a phobia of flying in a plane. They can't go on family vacations because by the time you get there in a plane and have fun, you're ready to come back. They're still driving across the U.S. because they have a fear of the plane. They don't want to fly. I said it the other night as, as the phobia of, of uh, you always see the husband cleaning out the garage. <laughs> Thank God for Pastor Aldo because I was thinking of something clever to say and he's got my back. It's time to clean the garage. <laughs> Why do you always see the husband cleaning the garage? Because the wife went in the garage one day, seen one roach, and she'll never go back in the garage again. <laughs> She's got this phobia now. It's like, come on, man. That bug wasn't going to do nothing to you. It was trying to run from you because you're a lot bigger than the bug, and you're freaked out. It's an irrational fear, and it's hindering you from doing something you should be doing. It's paralyzing. It hinders you. It stops you from doing what you set out to do. It prevents you from getting where you're going. It causes you to neglect the responsibilities that you have to complete. And it works against what God has called you to do. We have to be careful of a fear that is a phobia. People are scared of everything and anything. Some of you might have your own phobias that you should repent of. Because that is something that is hindering you from doing God knows what. So I'm going to speak about four different people today. The first one is Moses. All these people have been called to do something at a specific time for a specific purpose by God Almighty, and he's equipped all of them to do exactly what he's called them to do. First one's Moses. God seen the Israelites. He heard their cry. It was a specific time. It was time for the Israelites to get taken out of bondage from Egypt and brought into the promised land. It was his timing. So he needed to call somebody to go ahead and usher them out. So he called Moses. Moses, minding his own business. He's between the ages of 40 and 80, probably closer to the 80 range. And he sees a bush. And the bush is on fire, but it's not burning. It's on fire, but it's not being consumed. It's still there. So he is curious about it a little bit, goes and checks it out. God says, you're on holy ground. Take off your shoes. So he backs up a little bit. And then he wants to dialogue with God. Here's the dialogue. God's telling them that I'm calling you out to go lead my people away from the bondage of Pharaoh and into the promised land. 
He says, who, who am I that I should go? God said, I'm with you, Moses. I'm with you. Okay, well, how, 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 when I go to tell them, how are they, who should I tell them sent me? God said, tell them I am sent you, the God of their father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay, well, how are they going to know? This is Moses dialoguing with God. How are they going to know that you really sent me? All right, well, here's three extraordinary things that I'm going to allow for them to be signed so they know that you're from someone, not of yourself. You're of me. Your staff turned into a snake, back into a staff, back in your hand. Your hand, put it in your cloak. Bring it out. It's leprous. Leprosy is pretty disgusting. You got limbs falling off. It's snow white. It's, it's, it's nasty. Put it back in. It's not leprous no more. Third one was take some of that water from the Nile and let's turn it into blood. So these are the three things that you can do to, sh- to let them know that I'm sending you, that you're from me. I got a stuttering problem. I can't even speak right. I, I can't talk straight. Not eloquent is what he's telling God. God says, I made the mouth. I'm going to be with you when I made your mouth. I'm equipping you. Can you just be obedient? Can you just do what I'm calling you to do, Moses? Now, I'm going to stick up for Moses a little bit here because what God was asking Moses to do was enormous. (laughs) It was like, it was crazy. God wanted Moses to go to the, the most powerful man in the world at the time. And take all of his slaves who was building his kingdom and his empire to another location. <laughs> Moses is like, God, you're crazy. So he's going to dialogue with God. The last thing he said angered God. He said, can you just send someone else? That's what it says. It's chapter 4, verse 13. Can you just send someone else? And God got angered. And then he said, look, here's Aaron. You tell him what to say as I tell you what to say, and I'm going to be with both of you, and he can communicate for you. Go. Let Pharaoh know to let my people go. God called him, and he equipped him. The second person is Gideon. Gideon's one of 12 judges that God utilized to basically show his people, you need a king who's righteous and holy to reign and rule forevermore. And that king, as we know him today, is Jesus. He sits on the throne forevermore. Amen? Amen. Amen. So he called Gideon out. He's seen the, his, the Israelites. They're being persecuted by the Midianites. It's time for me to let the Midianites know that these are my people. Specific purpose, specific plan, specific time. I'm going to go to Gideon. And he does it for his glory, too. I forgot to say that. Specific purpose, specific, specific time for his glory. So he goes to Gideon. In the book of Judges, and he says, uh, Gideon, I'm going to use you to, uh, to defeat the Midianites, and they can stop persecuting the Israelites, my people. And Gideon's like, man, it's about time someone showed up, man. This is supposed to happen a long time ago. He was ready, he was ready but then he found out it was him. And then he's like, uh-uh. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Don't, don't you know that I am uh, our, our little clan we got going on here? We're the weakest. And I'm the weakest in that clan. So, like, I'm at the bottom of the total pole. You want to use me. So let me translate that to Little League. All-star game. All right? The coach that's picked to coach the all-star team is developing his team. He goes to Lil Lil Wesley. Lil Wesley. About three foot seven. Pencil arms. 
I said, Lil Wesley, you're going to be pitching. You're starting at the All-Star game. Lil Wesley ain't played all year. <laughs> Lil Wesley says, my team has not won a game all year, coach. And I'm the worst pitcher on the team. But the coach is going to use him the way that God used Gideon. So Gideon, he lacked, he had, he had this fear. He lacked confidence in what God was telling him to do. He lacked the faith. He continually made up excuses. He's like, God, I need a sign. You stay right here. I'm going to go get a gift, something to come sacrifice to you. If you're here when I get back, angel of the Lord, I'm going to know that it's you. So he waited for him. This is how God's equipping him. He's entertaining his little test that he's trying to throw at him. All right, I'll wait for you, Gideon. And then Gideon does the whole fleece on the on the on the. The, the ground, it's going to be, it's gonna, I, want, I want a whole ground, I'll have dew on it, but I want the fleece to be dry. Now the fleece is supposed to be wet the first time, the ground dry, and then the ground wet, the fleece dry. And, 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 and God did it. That's how God was showing him that I'm equipping you. He gave the Midianites into the hands of Gideon, and he gave Gideon instructions through his fears to go and listen to a dream of interpretation that brought Gideon strength. And gave him the strength to do what God had called him to do. While he minimized his army from 32,000 to 300 just so he would be glorified. The third person is Jeremiah. God called Jeremiah out to be a prophet to the nations to speak on his behalf. The Israelites were acting crazy. They did that a lot in the Old Testament if you read it. Kind of like you and I. And he said, you know... They need to be humble. I'm angry. I'm upset. They're going to go into bondage. Before they do, you're going to go and you're going to preach to them. You're going to be a prophet. You're going to let them know that my wrath is about to be unleashed. And that's what Jeremiah's ministry was. It was a tough ministry. He was afraid. He said he felt like he was unequipped. Jeremiah loved Jerusalem. And God let, called him to let Jerusalem know that their fall was not going to be because of any lack on God's part but it was due to their unfaithfulness toward God. That's the grace of God. That's, how, that's the God we serve. Jeremiah asked over a hundred times for people to repent and turn from their ways. Repent, repent, repent. He knew that his God that he served would back out if the people would repent. He knew it, and he loved the Israelites. He loved the people of the land. And it broke his heart to see that there was no repentance in his day. So God comforted him with the knowledge that repentance and renewal would eventually come. In Jeremiah 33, verses 14 through 26, this is just a portion. The scripture said, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days and at that time I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David. And he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. Verse 16, In those days Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. And this is talking about Christ. Amen? It was a promise referencing the King of Kings, Jesus. So he equipped, he equipped Jeremiah to do what Jeremiah thought he couldn't do. Jeremiah was the youngest. He, he was a young man. He felt like he, he, he couldn't go and speak on behalf of God. And God said, I'm going to be with you, and you are going to speak. That's pretty much what he told him. So the fourth person is you. It's me. It's us. 
That's the fourth person that God called out for a specific purpose at a specific time for his glory and equips us to do what he's called us to do. What have we been called to do? He's called us out of darkness and into fellowship with him and the body to love him with our mind, heart, soul, and strength. What does that mean? To love him with all of your mind. What is your mind consumed with on a daily basis? What is your mind consumed with now? Do you think about God? Do you seek his guidance? Do you seek his face? Do you wonder how he feels about a situation? Do you wonder what his word declares about your circumstances? Or you just lean on your own understanding and walk in your own foolishness? With all of your heart. With all of your soul. With all of your strength. Think about what that means. Meditate on that. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's what we're commanded to do. Not just that, but to go and make disciples of all nations. The Great Commission. We're commanded to go and preach the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation. We're commanded to go out to those who are lost and dying. And it's not necessarily the physical death we're concerned about, church. We're concerned about their spiritual death. Their eternal separation from God. And we're commissioned we're called out, first of all, I mean, that's amazing. Not everyone's called out, church. You're called out of darkness, and he allows us to participate in the communication of his gospel message to a lost and dying people. It doesn't matter if they believe it or not. You preach what your God told you to preach. You communicate what your God told you to communicate, and he will do the rest. He's the heart changer. The message is the agent. We are the agent. We get to participate in what he's called us to do. He equips those who he calls. How are we equipped to do what I just mentioned? First of all, we are born of the flesh. Okay, you guys are like, how is that equipping? I hate my flesh. I'm trying to get rid of my flesh. Equipped because the Bible says that we are made in the image and likeness of God. You wasn't born a dog, a camel, a donkey. What? <laughs> that's funny. Some of y'all didn't get it, but that's funny. We weren't born an animal. We were born in the image and likeness of God. We were made in the image and likeness of God. So that is how we are equipped, the first way we are equipped. The second way, we're born in the Spirit, saved by grace through faith, redeemed from destruction. The natural man doesn't understand spiritual things. You do, for those who are saved. That's equipped, church, and dwelt by the Holy Spirit. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you, whom you have from God? And you were not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which belong to God. What was the price? Christ's death on the cross, blood shed. That's the price that we were bought at. We don't belong to ourselves. If you think you belong to yourselves, you don't understand the gospel. I, I believe it was Sister Yolanda in prayer this morning. She said, We're dead. We are dead to ourselves and alive in Christ. And it's the truth. 
The fourth way that we are equipped is the Word of God. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says that all Scripture is given by inspiration. It is God-breathed. That's not what 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says. That's Hebrews 4, 12. 2 Timothy says that all Scripture is inspired by God. It's inspired by God. That the man of God, well, we might be equipped to do every good work. It's profitable for us. It's beneficial for us. The scriptures are for us to be taught, for us to be corrected, and for us to be instructed on the ways of righteousness. We got the answers, church. We're equipped. How much are we reading? How much time are we spending inside of the word of God? If you're not spending time inside of the word of God, then how are you going to know what erroneous teachings that you're holding on to that you've been taught by the traditions of your father? How are you going to know what things you need to be corrected on? How are you going to know how to be instructed on the ways of what God loves and what God hates? That's equipped, church. It's all breathed by him. That's the only thing that's infallible is the word of God. And I'm not talking about grammatical errors for all y'all scholars. So what do those who've been called have in common? The four people I mentioned. First of all, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone who's called that I mentioned, and everyone else for that matter, as long as your father is a male, you've been born into sin, so you're a sinner. That's what we have in common. That's the first thing that we have in common. We are sinners. None of them can save themselves. So they're sinners. That creates a problem because sin is separation from God, and all sinners will bear their part in a lake of fire. There's more to the story. It's okay. And you can't save yourself. That's something else we have in common with Moses and Jeremiah and Gideon and so forth. John 14, 6 says, Jesus said to the disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's a gift of God. Not of good works, lest any man should boast. Another thing we have in common is many, if not all of them, feel incompetent or inadequate of doing what they were called to do on behalf of God. You're not alone. You feel inadequate? You feel incompetent? It's because of sin. The enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy anything that God gives us. Depression, anxiety, it's sin. Believe what the scriptures communicate about you, not what the world communicates about you. God promises to be with them. That's awesome. Deuteronomy 31.6, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. He told Gideon, I'll be with you. He told Jeremiah, I'll be with you. He told Moses, I'll be with you. He tells us in Matthew 28.19, go ye therefore. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lo, I will be with you always until the end of the age. Amen? He's with us, church. We just got to do what he's commanded us to do. That's why we've been called out. There's a reason why you're here and not on the streets. There's a reason why you're here and not sleeping in. There's a reason why you're here and not doing God knows whatever else. You've been called out to hear this message. Respond. Another thing we have in common is that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Isn't that encouraging? That kind of goes with that he's with us. 
Philippians 1.6, and I am sure of this, that who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. Another thing we have in common is the author and finisher, founder and perfecter of our faith. He gave us the faith, by grace, to believe in him, to understand spiritual things. He authored it, and he will finish it. Amen? And the last thing we have in common, you guys might not amen about, but you should, is you will suffer for the sake of Christ. Philippians 1, 29 and 30 says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Verse 30, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. This is Paul writing to the church in Philippi, encouraging them. Look, I'm in prison, but it's all good because all the Roman palace is hearing about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's all for the glory of God. Yeah, I'm suffering. Yeah, I was beaten. Yeah, I was wrongly in prison. But God is being exalted. Christ is being exalted. You suffer for the glory of God. We suffer with boldness by the grace of God. We stare at suffering in the face and we rejoice because of his grace. Because our time here is a vapor in the wind, a flower quickly fading. You're here today and gone tomorrow. That's why we suffer with joy. Because eternity awaits us. And we want to hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And not just that, but we want those who we love and those who are around us and those who don't know Christ to hear the gospel in spite of their ridicule, in spite of their backlash, in spite of them hating us, in spite of them rejecting us. It's still the message that saves. Amen? So Paul's telling Timothy in 2 Timothy 1, 7 and 8, he's telling them, that God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love. A sound mind and self-control. Very good. That's the spirit he gave us, not fear, church. And then in verse 8, this promise to Timothy to prepare him for what will surely come. He's promising him, don't be ashamed of Jesus or me as I'm in prison, but share in the suffering, Timothy. Timothy was one of his pupils, so to speak. He tells him to embrace the calling. The world hated Jesus, and the world will hate you. Some of y'all can't even relate to this message. You're like, the world don't hate me. Everybody loves me. My job. That might be a problem. Maybe you ain't talking about Jesus enough, or maybe you're talking about Jesus in the wrong way. Are you just saying, oh, I love Jesus, everybody knows you love Jesus, but are you telling them, look, you have offended God because you were born into sin. You're sinning by choice and by nature. You violated his laws, and that creates a problem because he's a holy God and your behind is going to go to hell. There's no simple way to put it, church. Yes, you can say it for, with love, and yes, you can say it gracefully, but the truth has to be proclaimed, and then people might start hating you. Some of y'all are like, well, I don't want to be hated. Do you love Jesus? Some will hate you. Some will say thank you. I never heard the gospel message like that. I realize I have a problem with God now, and I should repent. 
And I will turn from my wicked ways by his grace, and I will serve him for the rest of my life. And that you rejoice in, because that's beautiful. You see a converted soul. You've been allowed to participate in someone going from death to life, not in the natural, but in the spiritual. Amen? So how could you suffer? People rejecting you. People making fun of you. What about this one? This one's really annoying. You love people. You believe that Jesus is the Savior that will redeem people's lives from destruction, that will grant them eternal life. So you lovingly go to them to share the gospel, the message that is both bad news and good news, but good news prevails. You go to share it with them, and then they totally misunderstand what you're doing. They misrepresent what you're doing. They say you're just judging them and that you're critical. Isn't that annoying? It's like no one loves you enough to share the gospel with you, but I do, and you're treating me like, like junk. You're treating me terrible, and I'm the only one that, that came to share the gospel with you. That's annoying, but we rejoice in that too because that's part of our suffering. In America, I know you guys are like, man, that's not really that bad of suffering, but that's kind of the world we live in. That's just the way it is here. If you go overseas, you might die for sharing the name of Christ in certain countries. Today, it's still happening. People are being ripped out of their homes in prison because they believe in Jesus Christ. In America, not so much, but you will be persecuted in regards to being misrepresented, spoken to, ill-willed. If you do it enough, you might even get death threats. Do what enough, Pastor Chad? Share the gospel, the bad news and the good news. Let people know that they do have an issue with God. Don't just tell people Jesus loves them. You can't do that, church. That's not the whole message. Maybe sometimes you can, but make it rare. Let's take time to share the complete gospel message with people. And I'll get into that a little bit more. You'll be outcasted, ostracized, left out, excluded. Praise God for the body of Christ, right? Because they won't do that to you. And hopefully you guys can rejoice together in your suffering. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Christ suffered for you first. He loved you first. Look what Christ did for you and I on the cross. We share in his suffering, church. So what does it mean to be called? It means to be chosen, to call upon for a specific task or a job assignment. Where are we called out from? We're called out of darkness. We're called out of the bondage of sin, out of slavery from sin. Amen? Whenever you're born into sin, you are born into sin. That means you are a slave to that sin. You can't get yourself out of that slavery because it's a spiritual thing. It's too strong for me and you in the natural realm. Where are we called to? We're called into his marvelous light. We're called into eternal glory with Christ Jesus. And we're called to suffer for his name's sake. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into the marvelous light. Praise the living God that we serve.
I'm going to give you a little illustration here before I close of of how it's so loving for God to call us out of darkness and it's unparalleled with anything that man can do or offer us. Let's take, for instance, and, and I said this on Monday as well, I don't know if you can, if you get sentenced to death row, I don't know if you can like try to go up for like request your sentencing to be reduced or if it's just a done deal. But let's say you have a, you're sentenced for execution and you're trying to appeal to them so that you can get at least maybe a life sentence. You don't want to die in there. You don't want to be executed. So you do this. You go and you make your appeal. You make your case. And the state rescues you. They take you off a of death row for their own purpose. Maybe that purpose is to beautify the city. You're a workhorse. You've been good in there. You've done well. We will allow you to go and work on this huge project that we're doing. We'll reduce your sentence from death to life. And you can go work for us. You're grateful for that. But they didn't change your heart because they can't. So all in all, you feel like they owe you more. And you're ready to say, look, you know, I, I got this because of good behavior. You know, I submitted my case and they all said, you know, I was doing well and I didn't deserve this. So when I'm done beautifying this city here, I'm going to submit for another reduction of my sentence because they owe me. That's the kind of mindset you might have. Now, let's say you're on your way to hell because you're a sinner by choice and by nature, sin of omission and commission. That means omission. There's things that you know you should be doing that you're not doing. That's a sin of omission. Or you know you shouldn't do that, but you go do it anyways. That's a sin of commission. We sin in thought, word, and deed. God judges the heart, not the actions. Looking at a woman with lust is equivalent to adultery. Having hatred in your heart is equivalent to murder. God's standards are high, church, are high. So we're on our way to hell because of our sinfulness before a holy God. And then God rescues you. He calls you out for his own purposes, for his own glory, to do something for a specific, a specific task. Love him with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor. Go and make disciples. Participate in the Great Commission. Live for me. Submit to me. Commit to me. Make me the Lord of your life. The difference is it has nothing to do with your good behavior. It has nothing to do with how many old ladies you've helped across the road. It has nothing to do with how many prayers you've said. It has nothing to do with how many times you've opened up the scripture. It has nothing to do because you were the preacher's son. It has nothing to do you went to church three times a week. It's only by his grace. He's changed your heart, something the state couldn't do. He's made your affections now not for sin but for him. The things you used to love to do, now you hate to do, and you want to participate in the things that God loves. You see the difference? 
And he doesn't call you out to participate in something that you grudgingly do and you can't wait till you're finished so that you can request, a, 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 you can request more from him. He calls you out of darkness so you can participate in something that now you love to do because your affections have been changed. And you realize the magnitude of what you're participating in. As you faithfully share the gospel and you see souls converted. You see lives changed. An ex-drug drug addict that, is, that has been redeemed from destruction, called out, now set to go and preach the gospel, no longer living that lifestyle, and now all of a sudden their family that was, that was on the brink of being completely demolished, children were being brought up in a, a home where, where daddy was a crack addict, now they're walking in the ways of the Lord, and now you see the fruit of it all, and you see that the, the marriage has been restored, you see the children are now walking in righteousness and walking in holiness because of the grace of God. participate in seeing that church the state can't do that for you what God did for us is unparalleled and no man can offer you anything better or anything even equivalent this message opportunity to share the gospel with somebody at Dunkin' Donuts maybe five, six weeks ago. And my brothers who were around me were encouraging me. Let's go do it. Let's go share the gospel. Let's go tell them about the most important message you'll ever hear. Wow, no brainer sat in my seat, numb, paralyzed. For what? I didn't keep it near and dear to my heart that I've been called out of darkness. I used to, I used to do drugs. I used to be rebellious. I lived for myself. I was selfish. I didn't care about really anybody else to a degree. I was dishonoring my mother. I was dishonoring women. I didn't care about anything else. I didn't think that God called me from that and called me out for a specific purpose. Not for me to have my best life now, but for me to go out and share the gospel with people who needed to hear it. And he positioned those people at the Dunkin' Donuts for them to hear the gospel from one of his faithful servants. The problem was his servant who was supposed to be faithful wasn't faithful that day. We've been called out to communicate glorious message and tomorrow and this is for the church tomorrow's not promised to us we should eagerly run to share the gospel because guess what we could die and yes you would die and go to heaven because you know God and he saved you because he loves you and he's gracious not because you're awesome but what about your neighbor what about your co-workers the woman at Dunkin Donuts who I was positioned to share the gospel with you know you always hear the 
preacher talking to those who are lost and those who don't know Christ and say, today's the day of salvation. Respond today, which I am going to say that. But what about to the church? Today is the day of salvation. Respond to what you've been called to do. Don't be Gideon. Don't be Moses. Don't be Jeremiah before God slapped them around. Be you and understand you're equipped and go and share the gospel because you have the opportunity to. this morning was for boldness, for strength. We want more of God. We need more of God. And the truth is, we have all of God. He's given us His Spirit. He's given us the Word. We just need to be faithful. Whenever Paul was in Ephesus, he got there, and when he arrived, this was like this is like going to, you know where they have the Olympics? Rio de Janeiro, uh, Athens, all these big places of today. That's where Ephesus was back then. And when Paul went there, he went straight to the synagogues. I'm going straight to the churches. I'm talking to the guys who are on top, and I'm letting them know about the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm letting them know that they need to repent and turn from their wicked ways and trust in the one who can save them from their sins. And that's what he did, and he was rejected. So what did he do then? Did he get discouraged? moment, but the Bible says that he went from house to house, in the streets for three years, preaching the gospel door to door, and revival broke out. His handkerchief was healing people in those days, because the power of God under salvation, the gospel message, was being communicated in the streets. Continuously, fervently, faithfully by the body of Christ, which is us. If you guys want to see revival, we need to hit the streets, hit the neighborhoods, hit your neighbors, hit your co-workers with the most important message you'll ever hear in their entire life. One that can save them, whether they leave work and die or they live another 40 years. The message that is the power of God and the salvation. That Jesus Christ died for you and me. That he demonstrated his love towards us and that while we were sinners, he died for us. That God sent him who knew no sin to be sin, that we could become the righteousness of God in him and through him. That's what we need to be communicating, church. I want to open up the altar for anyone who would like to pray. Anyone who wants to say, I don't know God and I want to know God. Anyone who would like to renew their commitment. For whatever reason, this altar is open for you guys. We have people here that would pray for you. Love all of you. I'm grateful for the opportunity that I have to speak to you. I pray that God makes us all stronger, all bolder. It starts with us. We have a responsibility, church. God's done his part. He's equipped us. He's bought us at the price. He's revealed himself to you. He's given us the inspired word that men has tried to destroy throughout time. These 66 books, they're faithful.
because I'm awesome. And I pay all my bills because I'm awesome. And I got a credit score of 800 plus because, well, I'm awesome. Is, is there anyone here who thinks that they're awesome without God? I'm sorry, I suck at altar calls, but I just, I just, I just want to know, does anyone want a relationship with God and they don't have one? Seriously. God more? Does anyone want to know more about who Jesus is? Does anyone want to stop living for themselves and begin to live for Jesus that isn't currently doing that? If you do know Christ, maybe you could be praying for them.